Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. We have some quick hellos before we get started. Allison in Lakewood, Jenny in Bakersfield, California. Johnny or Joni, I don't know if it's Johnny or Joni, from Sarasota, Florida. Kira from Newberry, England, who said that it's negative 12 degrees Celsius and that you would be cold. Yeah, absolutely not. But do you know what negative 12 degrees Celsius is? Negative anything is too cold. 12 anything is too cold. <laughs> I don't care. I, Celsius to Fahrenheit. Not matter. sure what the conversion is, but just cold, cold, damn cold. Christine from Blairstown, New Jersey. Heidi from Simi Valley, California. Ron from Bastrop. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Bastrop, Bastrop, Texas. And Louise from Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. That is so cool. What, what do they say? Good day, mate. Do girls say good day, mate, or is that a guy thing? Couldn't tell you. We're curious, Louise. Do girls say good day, good day, mate? Or is that just a dude thing? A little bit of information. Our store is up and running for any of your haunting history gear. We have keychains. We have sweatshirts. We have t-shirts. What else do we have, Haley? A beer coffee cozy. mugs. My coffee favorite mug. is a baseball tee. It's my favorite that. part. The baseball tee is really cute. Um, things you may or may not need, but if you're interested, go to huntinghistorypodcast.com. And click on the shop tab and then follow the links to our store. Also, our Patreon is completely revamped and updated. And for just $5 a month, you can hear all of our episodes early and ad-free. Is there anything else? I think that's it. You want to say something about our reviews? Oh, we've been getting a lot of reviews lately, like more consistently. I feel like like every day there's a new review. And they're all really, really nice. They're so sweet. A couple of them, I can't remember the names. And we don't have them up anywhere that I can see them really quick. So nice. Um, so thank you. If you're one of our new listeners and our new reviewers, thank you so much for doing that. Um, today's topic. Haley, do you have any opinions on vampires in general? Uh, I mean, yes and no, but it kind of falls into the realm of like mermaids for me. Really? Yeah. And like the Loch Ness monster, like they're all the same. Really? Like I think it's just like folklore. And why? Why is it because you read the Twilight books? No. So you associate it with the whole, like you associate it with. Well, and by the way, the the vampires of now are more like thin and gaunt, and you know, if you if you read any of the Twilight books, super hot. 
Um, but I don't think Edward is attractive in any way, shape no. or form. No, no way more into the werewolf side of twilight. He's still, <laughs> you were team Jacob. Yeah. Um, but I know, but this, the whole, okay. So werewolves, you don't believe in werewolves either then I'm assuming. Okay. Here's where it gets tricky because no, I don't believe in werewolves, but does part of me maybe slightly am more curious about like Bigfoot? <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm all over the map with the supernatural, paranormal. So okay, so stuff. werewolves, no. Vampires, no. Loch Ness monster, no. Probably not. Ghost, not likely. Not likely. But UFOs and Sasquatch, you're <laughs> down for. Yeah, I guess. Why? Okay, that's right. Um, what I was gonna say though is that vampires now in like our modern times, they they're always sort of like romantic characters and they're thin and they're gaunt and they're sexy or whatever. But in the olden days they were bloated and dark skinned and like ruddy appearance. They weren't a, I don't know, I guess Bram Stoker. I mean, his Dracula was a businessman type person. Do you know what I'm saying? So like back in the old days when the whole vampire theory and folklore started, they were more monster like, and now I think they're more people-like. Does that make sense? Yeah, but in stories. Right. Well, in folklore. And, because I mean, we don't believe they're real. I, we? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. The Webster definition of vampire is the reanimated body of a dead person believed to come from the grave at night and suck blood of a person asleep, one who lives by preying on others. In 1897, Bram Stoker released his book, Dracula, which is a story of Dracula's attempt to move from Transylvania to England so that he may find new blood and spread the undead curse. An excerpt from the text is as follows. When all was ready, Van Helsing said, Before we do anything, let me tell you this. It is out of the lore and experience of the ancients and of all those who have studied the powers of the undead. When they become such... There comes with the change the curse of immortality. They cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims and multiplying the evils of the world. For all that die from the praying of the undead becomes themselves undead and prey on their kind. And so the circle goes on ever widening. Like as the ripples from a stone thrown in the water, friend Arthur, if you had met that kiss, which you know of poor Lucy die, or again, last night when you opened your arms to her, you would in time, when you had died, have become Nasafruto, as they call it in Eastern Europe, and would all time make more of those undeads that so have filled us with horror. So some characters believe that the character Lucy of the book was based on a real-life person, Mercy Brown from Exeter, Rhode Island. During the 19th and early 20th centuries, tuberculosis, or TB, was the leading cause of death in the United States and one of the most feared diseases in the world. Formerly called consumption or the white plague, TB is characterized externally by fatigue, night sweats, and a general wasting away of the victim. Typically, but not exclusively, a disease of the lungs, TB is also marked by a persistent coughing up of a thick white phlegm and sometimes blood. Not surprising, consumption hit the family of George and Mary Brown hard. Mother Mary died of it in, first in 1884, followed by George and Mary's eldest daughter, Mary Olive, in 1886. Although it was common for families to contract the disease from each other, or even at the same time, or even lay dormant for years, it was a highly contagious disease. 
It was poorly understood in small villages and towns, and because of that, it was a subject of much superstition. And because the disease can lay dormant in one person, meaning that they can carry it but not succumb to it, villagers that didn't understand that couldn't figure out why some people could contract the disease and the next person wouldn't. This was the case of Mercy Brown and her family. When Mercy's brother Edwin, who would have been 25 at the time that he became ill with the disease, his father, desperate to not lose another child, sent him away to, to Colorado to regain his health. Some people believe that the air in Colorado was conducive to fighting the disease, and some physicians even prescribed bleeding and purgings. But most often, doctors simply advise their patients to rest, eat well, and exercise outdoors, particularly in places such as Colorado. So George, desperate to not lose his son, gathered all his resources and sent his son to Colorado. Very few actually recovered. Those who survived their first bout with the disease were haunted by severe reoccurrences that destroyed any hope for an active life. And that's what happened with Edwin. He returned to Colorado thinking he had been cured to find that his younger sister Mercy had contracted the disease. Mercy died on January 17, 1892. The townspeople in their little village rallied around George and Edwin Brown because he had lost his wife and now two of his daughters. They believed that whatever was plaguing the well-respected family must be stopped. If sending away Edwin helped him to recover, then it can't be a sickness that is ailing him. It had to have been so much more. Something sinister in their town, and the family must be under attack from something unseen. If it had, was just a highly contagious disease that was killing the family, then how come it had not taken the life of George? After Mercy died, Edwin became sick again, most likely because he had never been cured in the first place and was just falling out of remission. George became desperate to save his son again, and just as the town became more concerned. The only explanation must be that one of George's deceased relatives must be preying on poor Edwin. I mean, he was cured and then suddenly he was sick again. It made sense to them that it was more something more sinister at work. Many of the townspeople believe that there were undead humans that walked among them and fed on the blood of the living, particularly their own family members, which TB was also called consumption. I know I said that. And it was called consumption because it basically consumed the body. Mm -hmm. Like the victims of TB would just sort of waste away and seem like they were really losing blood. They become pale and frail and sick. The three deaths in their family seemed to be more than a mere coincidence to the villagers. After many meetings and whispered conversations amongst themselves, it was decided in March to exhume the three Brown family members who had died and see which one of them was responsible for the ill fate of the family, and if the legend was true. If they were truly dead, their bodies would be decomposed, right? They had been dead for a while. If not, then they would appear not appear in rotting flesh. Their bodies would not look much different than the living, as the blood they were dining on nightly was keeping them in the state of undead. At first, George resisted. He did not want the bodies of his wife or his daughters dug from their final resting places. And apparently his doctor agreed with him. His doctor was a man of science and didn't believe in any of the legends of folklore that the townspeople did. But George was desperate. So wait, these town people believed that they died and then became vampires or they were vampires and then they died because they're vampires. Well, and then I don't old understand. European legend says that certain people are born to be vampires, like babies that were born with teeth or babies that were born with the placenta still attached so those babies eventually would could grow to be old but would 
when they died would become the undead. So a lot of the folklore was not based on like things that they had been learning here in the Americas. It came from family stories in the European countries from coming over to America. So I think people technically believed that certain people were born to eventually become the undead, like sort of have an immortality to them. So, and they not knowing anything about tuberculosis. I mean, we're starting the story talking about tuberculosis, but that's hindsight. That's years later, us knowing what it probably was. But for them, they didn't know any of that. They didn't understand anything. They just saw a family, like typically people get sick, like the chicken pox. They would all get it. And if you're going to die, you're going to, you know what I mean? They would all die. But with consumption, some people can have, can carry the disease, but not succumb to it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or it can lay dormant even in like your bedding or the straw or whatever's in their house and then come back to basically bite you in the ass. They died years apart. The mom and Mary Olive died two years apart. And then uh, Mercy didn't get it until three years after her other sister had passed away. So they just didn't understand it, basically. They had no, they didn't have any kind of hygienic rituals or antibacterial soap or anything back then. So they didn't understand these things. So things that they didn't understand, they automatically... Turns it into something... Right. Crazy. Right. Okay. Well, and it's not so crazy, but wait, listen to the story. At first, like I said, George had resisted and he had a doctor that was kind of on his side. Um, He didn't want the bodies of his wife or his daughter's disturbed but his absolute fear of losing another child made him relent he let the townspeople dig up his wife and his daughters mary his wife and mary olive had both been buried and so a group of men with shovels dug through this frozen earth and brought their coffins up to ground level the caskets were opened to reveal that their bodies had decayed over time they appeared exactly as they should a doctor said this is how a body is supposed to look after it's been buried and decomposing Their bodies looked unmoved and untouched since their burial years before. The men then turned their attention to the recently deceased Mercy Brown. Upon opening Mercy's coffin, the onlookers were shocked. Mercy appeared to just be asleep. Her body was in pristine condition. There was no decay. Her hair in remarkably good condition, and her nails were significantly longer. When one of the men used a spade to prod at the young girl's body, fresh blood emerged from her mouth. Upon further examination, blood was found in her heart, which was a telltale sign of a vampire. It was quickly deduced that she and she alone was the culprit of Edwin's lingering disease. When this came to light, um, townspeople then started claiming to have seen Mercy walking through the graveyard in neighboring fields at night. Edwin even confessed to waking up at night and feeling and seeing his sister sitting on his chest. George Brown had his daughter's body removed from the casket, and a physician removed her heart her heart was placed on a rock and set on fire it was believed that the only way to kill the undead mercy brown was to burn her heart and then once her heart was burned the ashes were mixed with water and fed to the extremely ill edwin oh dear god they made him drink it it's disgusting thinking that it would cure him unfortunately for edwin though it did not he actually died a few months later shocking we're gonna pause right here for a break for our sponsors we'll be right back 
Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. So here's the scientific reason behind why Mercy Brown's body did not decay like her mother and sister. Aside from the fact that she'd only been dead a few months compared to a few years for them, Mercy died in January when the ground was too frozen to be dug up. So her coffin was put in a keep. And here's a little thing about a keep. A keep is a above ground crypt. You knew that? You're naughty at me like you knew like that. Like those, those ones that are in the wall, like that thing? Most likely a standing, it would stand alone. Oh, okay. And a lot of them had bells outside of them with a rope going onto the inside. I mean, yes, people I did know that you didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and they say, that's where the saying dead ringer comes from mm-hmm. or saved by the bell, which I always thought was really interesting, but her body, because they couldn't dig in the ground cause she had died in January. Uh, they put her body in the keep. Well, it was freezing cold. It basically preserved her body. Yeah. And, um, but they couldn't, see that because they were all so caught up in the fact that she literally looked like she had moved. She looked like she had kind of tilted sideways, which could have been from moving her coffin. Her nails did not technically grow, but your skin skin recedes. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes her nails look like they had grown. And it wasn't that unusual for there to be body left in the body. And particularly when they were looking for vampires, quote unquote, the Blood would be in their mouth. Well, she died of a consumption. She probably had blood in her mouth anyways. When she died, you mean? Right. Yeah. So the doctor had tried to convince onlookers and townspeople that there was a reason why she appeared the way she did. But the shock at seeing her in the legends of it remain, regardless of any common sense. Mercy Brown was not the only vampire exhumed in New England in the latter part of the 19th century. It is said that 80 people were unburied and burned or staked in the interest of ending the nightly bloodletting of the undead. But Mercy Brown was the last documented and probably the most famous case. As time went on, science and medical advances and communication, particularly to small towns and villages, triumphed over superstitions and whispering about the supernatural. But did that mean that vampires were not real? Today, Mercy Brown's gravesite is popular with sightseers and curious visitors who often leave gifts as such as jewelry and plastic vampire teeth. Her father, George, because I looked him up on Ancestry, because you know I did. And people think I'm weird. Like, sometimes I find information at Ancestry, and sometimes I just don't. The reason that I do is when I'm reading all these stories about all these people, they're just stories. But once I look them up and see, like, their signature on things and them listed with their neighbors and sense, they become real people. Yeah. And I was curious what happened to George. George went on to live a full life. He died when in 1922 he was 80 years old and that thing is he 
I found him on the 1900 census living with his daughter, Hattie, and her family in another town in Rhode Island. And many don't mention when you hear the story of Mercy Brown and her sister, Mary Olive, who died, and her brother, Edwin, who died, don't mention that George had three other daughters. He had five total daughters and one son. Uh, and he, his daughters, Annie, Hattie, and Jenny, all went on to live. All three um, got married, all three having children of their own. I found them all on census records. I found many private trees with the Brown family listed. So the story the story itself about Mercy and what they believed is really just folklore and, and not being educated about the disease. They didn't yeah. know. Which is how a lot of folklore... Why is that word so hard? I don't know. Because it's weird. That's how a lot of them start. Right. But the thing is, the stories of vampires didn't die with the burning of Mercy's heart. In 2004, 1,500 miles from England, a story made headlines in Romania when a group of villagers performed a vampire-slaying ritual on a recently buried corpse after a 26-year-old woman began complaining of a mysterious illness. Her family member had died suddenly in a farming accident, and it was believed that he was returning as a restless spirit to suck the life force from his living family members and was making this one in particular sick. Six villagers dug up the man's body and cut out his heart and put stakes through his body. I don't think they made her drink at that time. So they learned. You know what? I think they did, actually. Because this was a headline that I found. But we watched that documentary. And the lady in Romania, that's the story she was talking about. They did. They mixed the ashes with water and made her drink it. She got better. She returned to good health. So they believed that the um, that he was a vampire. And they stopped the whole thing. I have a question. What's that? Do these vampire people turn into bats or is that... No, that's a whole different thing. Okay, see, but that's where I get like... That's where it loses me. Well, supposedly the turning into a bat thing is, is very specific to a certain type of vampire. That also exists? Such as... Mm, got it. <laughs> so we're going to go into that. That's a whole different thing. Great. The other thing that I found in Romania... Because Romania is where a lot of the whole vampire stories come from. And ironically, uh, the border of Mondavia is where this, some of the stories originated. And that's where your family tree, you have ancestors from that area. So You're telling me I have vampires in my family. Well, you have vampire. You have. No, that's okay. not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that you have families from the village where the stories of vampires originated from. So the fact that you don't believe is letting down your entire right. tree of well, ancestors. I so, knew part of my family were um, get on lunatics board. a little. So well, this is your, this is your grandma's side. So your side? Nope. Then I'm, I'm, nope. Okay. So you can say all the crap you want. <laughs> this is not my side. This is your other side. In Romania, they believed that, like I mentioned earlier, that children were born with placenta placenta still attached, or babies born breech would be likely to become vampires when they die. And when they're buried, they would poke needles through their eyes and stakes through their bodies to keep their bodies in the coffin. There are many rituals used to identify a vampire. Do you want to know what those are? Because that's important for you to know. For I mean, the future in case I run into a vampire. Yeah, your ancestors are from Moldavia Got and, it. you know, you just never know. Right. So you might be called on one day to help with a vampire invasion. <laughs> one method of finding a vampire's grave would involve leading a virgin boy through a graveyard or church grounds on a virgin stallion, the horse would supposedly balk at the grave in question. 
It was generally a black horse, but in Albania, it had to be white. Holes appearing in the earth over a grave were taken as signs of vampirism. Corpses thought to be vampires were generally described as having a healthier appearance than expected, plump and showing little or no signs of decompensation. In some cases, when suspected graves were opened, villagers even described the corpse as having fresh blood from a victim all over their face. Evidence that a vampire was active in a given locality included death of sheep, cattle, relatives, or neighbors. Folklore vampires could also make their presence felt by engaging in minor poltergeist-like activity, such as hurling stones on roofs or moving household objects, or like Mercy Brown, the claims of Mercy Brown, um, pressing on people in their sleep. On the website mentalfloss.com, I found an article about vampires today. It said that a 2015 study published in a social work journal reveals that an unknown number of people from around the globe self-identify as real vampires. Is this where I can talk about that crazy documentary that we watched yesterday? Yeah, these individuals keep their practices private, not so private because we saw a documentary on it, so as not to be judged and discriminated against. This study draws an important distinction between these real vampires and lifestyle vampires, or people who adopt the vampiristic behaviors common in pop cultures, such as sleeping in coffins or wearing fangs. Real vampires, in comparison, believe that they must feed on a willing donor's energy or blood to maintain their own psychic and physical health. According to studies done in 2008, 2009, and 2013, however, real vampires do not present a danger to others and are considered psychologically and socially stable. What was the name of the documentary that we watched? I don't know, and I don't think we should recommend to anyone to suffer through that because let me tell you <laughs> what was that called Vamp- i don't know just Dis- disturbing maybe because it was what i we need to find out what it was called no it was like literally i under listen everyone <laughs> you're getting upset about this like because, why are you getting upset because you wouldn't turn it off and i literally could not sit through it any longer because it was so disgusting I was doing research i had to watch it they it Everyone can have their own style, whatever. They call, they like to call it the what? They're like goth style or something. Well, that's okay, where and they that's, say that's where it started was the, through that. Yes. And that's like the black clothing, the black hair, all the eyeliner, whatever. If you want to walk around wearing fangs to each their own, like whatever. Okay. But then you start going to nightclubs in LA, in New York, where there's special rooms where you get to slice people's arms and drink their blood. Well, because people claim that they like need high. it. Yeah, they need it. They they need people's blood to like survive. I know I'm not I'm not disagreeing. That's not crazy, but they they did. They claim that. There's you just watched a whole entire show on it. I know, but it's like it's like it's like saying someone who's addicted to heroin. It's like oh well, that's okay because that's your lifestyle. Well, no, <laughs> like it's not okay. But they have to be. You watched it with me. They have to be consenting adults. They can't. It can't. They can't. They don't not run. A, they don't run around and bite people on the streets of Los Angeles. I get it. Right. They have people that are called donors. Right. That donate their blood to these people that insist that they need. Well, and that girl. What was her name? The, the one, one the, that would go to butchers. the butcher shops and get liver and blend it up, and then she talked about how it wasn't as satisfying as human blood. No. Okay. I just have one thing. It's to not say. okay. Can I just say one thing about her? What? She has a boyfriend, and you don't. So what is that? <laughs> Listen, that was so rude. 
Okay. <laughs> I can't. I don't condone that. She has a boyfriend and you do not. So I, maybe she's doing That's something. fine. I'll be alone forever if it means I never have to hey, drink They seem blood. so normal. That's what's kind of creepy about it is that we need to find, I'm going to find the name. I'll have a link to it on our, because we watched it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And it's really 2001 and it's all in black and white. So the whole thing was just disorientating from but the beginning. They're They're not the same thing as... The vampires from folklore. These are people that are making a life choice. There's a difference. Right. But I almost <laughs> stand by the ones from the 1900s than I do from... People making a life choice. Yes. So, well... Based off of crazy folklore. That's that's what it is. These that's people what are like deciding that they've read all these things about vampires. And, and so like... It then they're going to drink blood like vampires. Well, and again, that's just like what I said. It's a life choice. It's not, it's not something they're born with. It's not something they physically need. They're making a life choice. Okay, life choices is deciding to go keto, not drinking blood. Well, these people are deciding to drink blood. I can't do it. The other, um, there was a big battle in the 1980s between um, two men who were um, claiming that vampires were real too. And they were claiming they were real, real vampires. And that's a whole different episode turn into bat vampires yeah they were kind of they were hanging they were eventually they were arrested they were hanging out in graveyards with um stakes and silver bullets and all that kind of thing so i don't know i mean are vampires the same as werewolves and what are all the different horror characters that we know werewolves mummies vampires Zombies. So, see, zombies are real, though. Don't lump them in with folklore. I mean, that might be our zombies future. Zombies are real. Right. That's They scare the fuck out of me. The UFOs, zombies, earthquakes. Planes. And planes. One, two, three, four. Yeah, zombies. Zombies are real. Do not lump them together. Okay. But, I mean, are vampires just folklore? I don't yes. know. You, you believe that? Besides the crazies in L.A. and... New York. And listen, it's not the only place. Anyone who searches for podcasts on vampires and you're going to hear me rant about I, how I don't agree with your lifestyle, do not come after me, okay? I think you're pissing off an entire <laughs> genre of people that drink blood. They're going to get mad okay, at you. Well, well, these were, you, I just, I think it's an underground thing. I think that is true. I think that they exist. And I think that, I mean, I don't think that they're real vampires. I think that they exist. They call themselves vampires because they made a life choice. Again, on the website Mental Floss, I found stories of eight different people who they claim to be vampires, but probably still not in the same like Romanian way of the undead, but maybe more in the way of like making the life choice. There was Countess Elizabeth Bathroy, who um, was super cruel. She was crazy cruel to her female servants, and she said to she used to drench, drench them in water and leave them to freeze to death outside in the winter. And then following the murder of a young noblewoman, Bathory staged to look like a suicide. She was made accountable for her, her crimes. But what she did was they suggested that she killed more than 650 women and bathed in their blood. They call her a vampire also. In the book, Dracula was a woman. Historian Raven McNally claims that she was in part the inspiration for Bram Stoker's famous bloodsucker. Then there was Fritz Harman who was known as the Vampire of Hanover. He was a serial killer, and between 1918 and 1924, he murdered at least two dozen people, many of whom he killed by biting through their necks. Richard Chase was a had a fascination with blood and went on a month-long murder spree. 
that he was called the Vampire Sacramento between 1977 and 1978. He murdered, disemboweled, and drank the blood of six people, ranging in age from 22 to months to 36 years. Maybe we should do a story on him. Um, James Riva was 23 years old when he killed his wheelchair-bound grandmother in Massachusetts in 1980. He stabbed her repeatedly, shooting her four times through the hearts with bullets he had painted gold. In order to cover up the crime, he burned down her house. When questioned, he claimed that he was a 700-year-old vampire who killed his grandmother in order to drink her blood. Roderick Farrell was um, brought a few of his followers from Kentucky to Florida to murder the parents of his girlfriend so that he could be initiated into his coven. That's what he, that's what he made them do. After beating Heather's father with a crowbar, Farrell and a friend used cigarettes to burn a V into his chest. Farrell told police when he was um, arrested that he was a 500-year-old vampire named Fazago. There's Alan Menzies, who was obsessed with the 2002 vampire film Queen of the Damned. He believed that he was the main character and that he knew he had to murder somebody. Um, he killed his friend, stabbed him 42 times, hit him with a hammer, and drank his blood, and then consumed part of his brain. Oh, my God. Josephine Smith, a shuttered Hooters restaurant may not be the first place you think of as a vampire lair, but it's where 22-year-old Josephine Smith attacked a 60-year-old homeless man in 2011 as he slept. Smith allegedly told the man that I'm a vampire and I'm going to eat you before she bit off pieces of his face, lips, and arm. The victim managed to escape and call police, who later found Smith covered in blood at the crime scene with no recollection of the incident. This um, list is all from the website mentalfloss.com. So you can find that online. Uh, they have a couple different stories about vampires. I'm not sure why they have a weird thing about vampires, it looks like. But there is also um, New Orleans is known for having a very huge vampire culture, whether it's the current day people who make the life choice to become vampires or if it's um, based in their folklore. New Orleans has a ton of vampire stories. So you're you're still not convinced that there are real-life vampires? No. The notion of vampires have existed through the ages and all cultures. Belief in the legends of vampires have been so pervasive in some areas, such as a New England vampire panic that Mercy Brown was a victim of, that it caused mass hysteria and even public executions of people believed to be vampires. But because the stories are based in folklore, doesn't mean they're not true. Like many things in history, there's almost always some thread of truth in a folklore. Could that also be the case with vampires? Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. 
Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.